You're listening to The Dumb Will Speak, a podcast in which we seek to honor the truth of God as revealed in His Word. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Dumb Will Speak. I am one half of the host team here, Chalen. And I'm Roy. And today we're kind of bringing you a different type of episode for us. Very different. Um, one that we're going to introduce some uh, vi- or, uh, uh, sound bits, sounds clips of preachers. I use that term loosely. And, and, and basically you've heard us over uh, the history of this show, the brief year history of this show. But we've talked about um, a lot of the... Uh, erroneous ideas of preaching that goes on in pulpits across the world. Uh, this is not local. This is this is really across the world. You don't have to look very hard to find these. Um, but we're just going to look at some of those and play clips and try to hold it together. And we're going to have comments. We're not here to get angry. We're not no. here to make you angry. We're not here to poke fun of people. Some of the stuff may come across as a bit bizarre if you're not used to this style of... of of church service, um, but we want to make it direct up front that this is not a rant. This is not a diatribe. We are not here to poke fun at people. We're here to point out some some clear things. We won't belabor the point, but the, pa- the fact is that um, we have a lot of preaching that is mostly about putting on a show, I guess. That's more about the, the man in the pulpit than, than about- it is about the gospel being presented. And uh, when we talk about exegesis, when we talk about expositional preaching and breaking down the word, we are talking about reading a portion of scripture, saying a prayer, coming back to it one verse at a time, perhaps one word at a time, and explaining the context of the scripture, where it where it's placed there in that portion and what it means in the overall grand scheme of the 66 books of the Bible, and what you can take from that. So you have, first off, a reading, then you have an exegesis, you have a historical grammatical uh, outline, and then you have a application, and that's preaching. That's true expositional preaching. Steve Lawson said it, I think, in the simplest form, and it's what I try to use. It's a three-step form: read the text, explain the text, apply the text. That's it. That's our duty in the pulpit. Um, that's it. Sometimes you do that. At, at Maybe I said it in a long-winded manner, it, but that was it. There's three points: you read the text, you explain the text, and then you apply it. That, that's it. And it's done with unction. It's done with fire. I'm not saying that. I'm, I, I don't have a problem with um, the only area that preachers can change things you know around or should be able to change things around is in the application aspect because you've st- used to state this there's only really one meaning of a text but there's plenty of applications no i still state that i yeah. always say there's one meaning of the text and thousands of applications and so and i always try to be real cautious about being very specific in the, the app- application yeah. almost to the broader terms of the application uh, the word of God is alive. It says that yeah. in the in the scripture itself, and it, it pierces through the heart and through the marrow and all the way down to the bone, and it gets into the soul of man. And that scripture can speak to people, it really does. And I don't I don't mean an audible voice, but I do mean that it does. When you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells you, and therefore you're able to get from the scripture what what the Holy Spirit wants to wants to give you that day. It's not always the same for every person because we're not all in the same walk. Not everyone's the same age, the same background the same level of maturity in Christ, or the same uh, even intellectual ability. So God speaks to people on their level. And I'll say this, I don't think we've ever really talked about this before, but you hear so much about the, well, I've always heard about the age of accountability. We had a conversation one day this week where we talked about that, and and I remember 
years ago, we had a conversation about age of accountability, and it's not, I don't like that term that much, even though I've used it. The age of accountability is not so much the, the emphasis as, how is it you worded it? I like the level of the accountability. The level of accountability. We don't know what magical age someone can come to Christ. We do know that Christ knows when it is, and, and the Word can speak to them at that time. Which is why, as you're, as you're bringing up your children, rearing them, technically rearing them, not raising. We, we raise cattle. <laughs> we raise crops. We rear children. But nobody uses that word anymore. But as you're rearing your children, that's what you're to do. You're bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And, and you're planting seeds that you hope one day will be reaped. But you don't know when that's going to happen or if it's going to happen. I hate to say that, but it's true. No, it's just part of it. We pray, we pray daily that our daughters, you know, that, that, that God draw them. Uh, to him because that has to be done by him. Sure, he has to do the drawing, and so we and, pray daily. And can for that. I say something before I totally turn this over to you? Because this was—I want to make it clear. This was—I don't even know what we're going to do today. No, and I—I'm spent being hijacked. <laughs> hours of painful. Oh, I bet research. it was painful research from what you've said. You said you're about done. You I, can't take it anymore. I'm done. I'm spent. I'm tapped out. I'm going to ride home listening to Dr. John MacArthur. Absolutely. And uh, try to get myself back focused because it's been uh, a couple weeks and uh, listening to this and my poor wife. Well, I want to I want to thank you for this. the uh, allowing me to have your, your commentary on Daniel for low these many months. I've had it forever. Started it once, quit it, came back to it. Uh, a few months ago. This is pre-pandemic. And since, I know, but I didn't start reading it again. I, I read the first three chapters, the first three chapters of Daniel and the and the expl- explication of it like back in 2020 and then, or 2019. And then I didn't uh, get around to really sitting down with it again until this year. And I, I, I started over. I had to. Well, it's a good commentary. It's, it's And I finished it uh, this morning. I, I re- <laughs> finished John, chapter 12 this morning. John MacArthur used it going through his... Uh, it's an older book. It's from the 70s, early 70s. He used it going through um, Man's Daniel. When he went through it very early in his ministry at Grace Community, and it was a book that he recommended, Leon Wood, and um, it's a really good commentary. Well, where we attend church, yep. uh, currently a man who's been a guest on our program on our first Done With Friends episode, Pastor Tom, he's currently in Daniel, and he's on, did he just finish chapter 7? I don't know if we're done with it or he's going back. He said, "Lord will in chapter eight this week." Well, so he, yeah, because he's done. He's done three sermons out of seven, and I think he's done. He's taking his time. It looked like he finished. I think uh, he's done, but he's doing an excellent job. So, uh, well, before we before we go in, into our, our actual subject, you're just sitting here running, rubbing your palms together. Um, it's a little chilly in the basement today. Anyway, uh, I want to say this once again in the news recently. Uh, still be praying for our neighbors to the Great White North. The, the 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 church in Canada is under attack still, particularly in the Alberta province. There was actually some charges dropped late, late, uh, real late in this week. Uh, Thursday, I think there okay. was Okay, I didn't hear about that. I, I, I think the last time I checked on the situation was Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, and I'd heard nothing else other than I know there's been more arrests, well, and more I'll, churches shuttered. I'll steer you to a guy that handles it pretty good. There's a guy on YouTube that kind of handles the news and all that. A little bit better, uh, a little bit more than we do more often. Bible thing, Bible thumping wingnut. Oh, he's uh, funny. He's he's pretty funny. Tim Hurd, I think, is his name. I really like him. Good guy. Uh, from what I've listened to him, and if you if you'll go on there, he'll he really stays up to date on what's going on. He's interviewed the pastors. He's inter- he's interviewed James Coates. He's uh, Coates. He's interviewed those guys. He's also talked to the wife of the one because one of them I don't remember which one spent 
pretty good amount of time in jail over James it. Coates. That was the other one. There's another one. Pulowski? Mm-hmm. No, there's another one. There's a third one, and I cannot think Yeah, of I know it. there's a third one, and, I, and, and, and I'm not the, sure, and I, I'm not even sure which town it was in. I don't know. Because it wasn't the same town. That's mm-hmm. just it. It's, it's now beginning to spread throughout that whole province of Canada. But a bunch of charges were dropped against him. You think about it like we have a federalist government here where we have states, they have provinces, those state, just like it, just like our states, our individual states are making rules about public health. Well, their their provinces are doing that, and in some cases, they're being really extreme. And the and here's what I'll say: the guys that we're talking about today, I don't know where they would stand if persecution comes, but I wonder. I've told you that before. Yeah. When true persecution comes, and you're quote unquote forced to go on underground, and you're 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 at risk of your your life is at risk because of the faith. I don't know where these guys stand. I don't know. You know, personally, we don't know where we stand. No, we, we, we pray that we're persevered to we, the end. We have to. We have to try and hold faith, hold fast to that faith that was given once to all saints. Uh, we just don't know. So, um, but you know, I just wanted to mention that we need to be praying for those those that are being persecuted, and they are being persecuted. I think. I think there's no 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 question there. Uh, and persecution's coming. It's coming in various forms. We'll all see it to some degree. You may see it at your job. You may see it in, in your church, for that matter, frankly. So this I mean, is kind of like a blind... Uh, if this was YouTube, this would be a reaction video. You're going to play this is clips. Much. I'm not going to know what it is, and then you're going to get what I have to say about it. Sadly, I'm hearing them for the second time. Yeah. So the first one we're going to begin with is, okay. if you do not know... Roy and I are sitting here drinking our cup of coffee as we record this, and so we're going to be instructed from a gentleman about coffee. Oh. I love coffee. I do. I love coffee. And when I say coffee, I don't mean uh, coffee with cream and sugar. That's what I'm talking about. When I say coffee, I mean coffee. What do you have in your coffee over there? Um, I have half and half and some skinny syrup. Okay. There's a free plug for them, vanilla almond. Okay, he's gonna he's gonna tell you about yourself. Okay. So if you put cream and sugar in your coffee, you ought to turn in your man card. I'll go ahead and take that now. Just go so, ahead and take your man card and remove that from you. Yeah, go ahead. That's good Bible preaching right there. No, it's not. Can you give me a verse in scripture yeah. for that? I don't know anywhere where Jesus or any of the apostles or any of the prophets in the Old Testament told us to abstain from cream and sugar from our coffee. Uh okay. We're gonna try to let this one finish till the end. If you put if you put cream in your cream and sugar in your coffee, sir, you probably got an Instagram and a Pinterest account too. I do. Bible preacher. Yeah, I love coffee. And when I say coffee, I don't mean cream and sugar. You mean you can put cream and sugar in your coffee. You'll just be honest about it and put it in a bathing bottle. Uh, just put it in a sippy cup and you're going to drink it that way. I like cowboy coffee. You say, what's cowboy coffee? That's where it's so dark and it's so strong, it would float a horseshoe. I like coffee. Brown okay. gold. Blood of life. Nectar of the gods. Fundamental fuel, uh, Baptist gas, Avengers orange juice, I got a million of them. Nature's first real energy drink. I love coffee. Now, we're going to let the coffee bit lie sure. right there where it is. There other, is more other than, than what I've already said, there's there's nothing there that's edifying the saints. That's, no. that's my biggest problem is, uh, look, look, even the guys that we, we talk about a lot, I mean, if you listen to John MacArthur, there's humor. There's humor there. If you listen, there's to a them, difference between humor. Yeah. Vody Balcom, they're all good at, at 
you know, still engaging the people's minds as well as, you know, and, and, and they're going to talk for an hour or more. So you better, you've got to be engaging or that person's bottom is going to get sore sitting on that bench and they're not going to want to sit there and listen. I mean, I hate to say that, but it's true. That's just where we're at in this modern society where postmodern society, where we, um, are running 200 apps on our phone at any given time. So we can't sit and sit, sit still long enough to hear anything. So sometimes, you know, you, you know, you, you do throw in something humorous just because sometimes some things are humorous in life. God has a sense of humor. He has to have. He created me. And every time I look at myself, I'm like, whoa. So, um, you know, humor is not a problem. When someone goes on a rant or a tirade to be, quote, cool or entertaining or here's what I got to say about you sissy people for, you know, to use an old-fashioned term, for, for putting stuff in your coffee, I still, again, no edification of the saints. Well, I just don't understand it. Same guy. Okay. But we always do shows on here called Defining Our Terms. So the first one, I want to let him define the term. Okay. And then we're going to apply the term. Okay. Okay? So the first one is the term defined. Okay. Atomic wedgie. Now, an atomic wedgie is always different and must not be confused with an everyday normal um, wedgie. Uh, An atomic wedgie is the kind of wedgie that you go home with that person's underwear band in your hand. Uh, you can't beat Bible preaching. This is- so, we have the definition of an atomic wedgie. And if you couldn't hear it, the atomic wedgie is one where you go home with that man's underwear band in your hand. And he follows that up with what? That's great Bible preaching. So, now, he's going to apply the atomic wedgie. I'm crying, Brother Fugate. I wanted to give that dude, I wanted to give an atomic wedgie and go home with his underwear band in my hand and then mount it like some preachers do with lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, mount it uh, in my study. And every time somebody visited, they'd say, hmm, that looks like an underwear band. Yes, it is. From an atomic wedgie. I gave some preacher who ran their mouth against me. Okay, stop. I, I don't know. There's nothing to say. No. Again, it's just, uh, it's it's redundant to keep saying it, but this has nothing to do with edification of the saints. And you're not applying any scripture here. So what the man is saying then is that he's telling about how another preacher spoke negatively against him. And so his desire was to basically harm him and I guess rip off his underwear band and mount it on a wall like a trophy. And then someone would say, that looks like underwear band. Yes, it is. That's what I do to people that speak against me. So where where does that come well, from? Well, okay, but let me ask you this question. Okay, we know the year that we, we've just come out of, and we've talked about it mm-hmm. with COVID. And we saw a lot of people calling for action of the church. I mean, a, almost a rebellion of the church, a, a acting out of the church. Where are we called to do that? You know, I, I don't see in Scripture that we're called to do that. I mean, right. when, when Peter reacts in the garden, when they've come to arrest Jesus, he, he takes the sword, he cuts the ear off, and Jesus tells him to stop and places the, you know puts the ear miraculously back on and, and does that miracle. So I just don't see as a church we're called to be this army, army per se. We're to spread the gospel because in the book of Acts, when you see this, Going on from start to finish, the, the church is persecuted. It, it explodes in chapter 2. Uh, Stephen preaches a sermon. Stephen is stoned at the sermon. 
Paul ravages the church, and and it's interesting that the the Greek word there used is ravage, and it talks about a wild boar ravaging a vineyard. So it's utter he's utterly destroying the church. He says it's dragging them out of their houses. Well, it's not just that. Also, I guess my 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 dis my dismay at this clip was apparently it's all about this man wanting to harm another Christian. Well, I understand that. But I'm saying we see these guys in the light that they apply things, sure. but we don't apply it that way. No, I know. Because No, but but again, this is apparently all about him and his what? personal feelings and not about anything to do with glorifying and honoring God. Sure. And that's what I mean, and so when you look when Paul ravages the church, and then in chapter eight you see what what is Philip doing? Philip's still preaching the gospel. He didn't Rebel against Paul, fight Paul. They evangelize Paul. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, he's later saved miraculously on the road to Damascus when when he sees the the the, the Lord. But what I'm saying is that I just don't think that kind of reaction from any of us is warranted for anybody. That, I mean, that's that's really kind of where I'm going with it now. Um, I, I I just don't. I just don't understand it. I really don't. What did Jesus pray in the garden before Peter cut off that man's ear? Father, my prayer for them is that they be one as you and I are one. This is not about oneness in Christ here. This is about a a, a vengeance and a a diatribe against someone, apparently because his feelings are hurt. Well, and I'll be honest with you. I pray. I don't know. I don't know. We're sitting across the table with each other. We're dearest friends. I don't know your salvation. You don't know mine. We only truly know it. Uh, Christ only truly knows our heart. There, we don't know the heart of hearts of man, if you will. And you truly pray that these men are in salvation. This is from a loving standpoint of how did we get to this point where we er- where this is quote unquote Bible preaching? I, I just don't. It's I just not. don't get to that. That's just it. It's not point. And, and I, I don't understand how it's got there because look, I mean, if we're sitting here talking about it, we'll be honest and you grew up in the this kind of movement well okay yes and no because not and and here's what i mean it was i don't recall it ever being this bad what this like things like this what this man is saying were there ever preachers who were kind of uh, rude or smart alecky uh pompous sure sure i think fundamentalism in and of itself in case you don't realize this these are all basically hardcore fundamentalist type preachers is that, and if you were to ask me if I'm a fundamentalist, and if you'd asked me this 15, 20 years ago, I would have still said, at heart, if you mean what the 19th century, early 19th century people were saying in reaction to the high critics of fundamentals of the faith, yes, I'm a fundamentalist in that respect, but not in the modern sense of the fundamentalist movement. It's gone off the rails. It's not anything like, I mean, there were, there were good men of God who would have been called fundamentalists in the late 19th and early 20th sure. century. That are that would not have anything to do with this because they were expositors. In fact, many of them were Calvinists, just so you know, and they would not have been like that. This is not what fundamentalism started out as, but this is what it's become by the mid twentieth century. Yeah. So yeah, un- unfortunately, sadly, having been born in seventy two, I, I was raised early on, reared. I went back to saying raised above my raising, but uh, I was uh, brought up in some churches that were kind of along that line. But I will say this: I left it pretty early. Were you in a bloodline church? And those of you that don't know what I mean, they some churches claim they can trace their the bloodline. trail of blood. Yeah, bloodline um, back to John. I don't recall. No, in fact, my father was. I'm just gonna 
open back, pull back the curtain a little bit here. My father was an independent fundamentalist Baptist church, a preacher. He did not believe in the Baptist, that trail of blood thing. He mm-hmm. had that book, by the way. I read it once. And he was like, this book will mess you up if you, if you, if you take it too seriously. And I said, okay. He said, these people try to believe in some ways that we get our name actually from John the Baptist, et cetera, that the church began at a certain point during Jesus's ministry, et cetera, et cetera, and all this other stuff. And and they, they harp on the, the idea of the, uh, the, okay, I don't want to get off too, too deep in the weeds, but there's a whole lot to do with, you know, how you're baptized and where you're baptized. Mm-hmm. As to whether or not you're part of the bride of Christ, it's landmarkism. If you want to look that up on Google, just Google landmark Baptist, and you'll find out the, the story well, behind that. And and, and and the thing was, he was not that. What he was independent from was he actually was was born again, and 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 had and had to do with the outreach of a Southern Baptist church, and he was going there originally. But he became independent because in the early in the late '60s, early '70s, for those of you that don't realize. The Southern Baptist Church was not what it has been for the last 25 years, 30 years, and what it's about trying to become again was it was liberal and was going down a very liberal path in the seminaries and in the larger churches, etc. And he became an independent to get away from that. He went. He wanted to go back to the fundamentals of the faith, and he hooked up with some people who were independent fundamental Baptists, and he became, became friends with some of those preachers. And during his time of study, when he became a preacher, that was his background. So... In his later years, did he recant, recant? No, but he did say, if I were pastoring a church today, and this is just what he said several years ago, I would never put the name Baptist on the church anymore. He became that anti-part of that system. But he still held a lot of their beliefs, believe me. Um, uh, fundamental Baptists uh, are very strict disciplinarians. They believe in the basically one pastor rule. There's no eldership. There's no plurality of elders. Um, they're not fond of deacons even, and they tend to have a one person rule. And and I really mean that it's a rule. The pastor is the shepherd of the, of the flock. What he says goes, and he makes the decisions of pretty much for the entire congregation and everybody's just supposed to follow it. Now I find danger in that when one person takes supremacy in a church to the extent that his, his wishes and his desires are the entire design of that congregation. Everybody's supposed to go along because he is, quote, the man of God, and that's a term. And I know you want to bring that up because you told me that you did, yeah, you did want to bring that up, that they often talk about the mog, M-O-G. Do man not of God, touch the mog. The man of God. The man of and God. they've called the preacher man of God. They're calling preacher, sure. brother, and man of God. Well, hold that, and I'm going to play a clip here from one okay, talking sure. about the man of God. Sure. Nobody has ever come up to me and tried to talk me out of what I've said in the pulpit. Nobody's been that dumb. They clearly can tell. There's a man. He means what he says. And that's why preaching needs to be preaching and not teaching. Because preaching comes with some earnestness to it. So nobody has been dumb enough to dispute him about what he has said from the pulpit. Did I garner that right? Can I ask a question? Go ahead. Was Peter an apostle of the faith? Yeah. Was he one of the main leaders and... and and early early elders of the church yeah. in Jerusalem. Did he not become an evangelist early on? Yes. Did Paul not dispute him over over hanging out with the Judaizers and being yep. two faced? Because when he was Paul alone, calls him out on when he was times. alone with Gentile converts, he would eat with them, including unquote unclean meats, because he'd already had that vision. Remember, remember mm-hmm. of, the, of the blanket. 
And Paul calls him out on it publicly. And Paul records it. I disputed openly with Peter over this and called him out on it. So was that man of God being abused by another man of God there? No. No, He was being being corrected. We, you know... A lot of the guys that we're mentioning, and this is kind of a, a thing. None of us are above correction. And that no. includes you, and that includes me. But a lot of these guys that we're talking about, they cannot stand expositing. Yeah. They cannot stand expository Well, he just said, preaching. preaching's not teaching. And look, let me say this. Preaching, if you'll listen to someone like Lawson or, or, or Paul Washer, they'll tell you, preaching is something a little different. Todd Friel likes to say, Preaching is one of those things that you know it when you hear it. It's a little different than just Bible reading or Bible teaching. But you must be taught. You must be edified. You must be instructed through doctrine, through the ways. And, and, and if you're not getting that, then you're not getting the whole, the whole synthesis of what preaching is, sure. what true biblical preaching is. They don't like exposition, expository preaching or exegesis of the word, which is where you said, after you've read the word, you would, quote, explain the word. That's exegesis. You break it down. Well, they don't like that. Because that takes time, that takes study, and guess what else it does? It takes you out of the equation. The pastor, the the teacher, preacher now becomes secondary. It's what does the word say and what does it mean? Well, and and so we've talked about... Because the opposite of that is what's called eisegesis, and that means like eisegetical. You have brought yourself into it. Oh, it's, it's your opinion. It's your it's your your thoughts. Your your theology. That's I call it narcissism. <laughs> Which is this where idea you read yourself all about me. into everything. Yeah. Narcissism. I mean, yeah. I, it's it's narcissism. You just narcissistically read yourself into every single text there is. Well, that's definitely what we heard about the atomic wedgie. It's what I've heard everywhere so far. True, and apparently about the Mog, the man of God. Okay, now here's one that. Uh, well, tells that uh, Polycarp is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Smyrna. Oh. How can you, Jesus, he plainly said, women are supposed to dress like women, men are supposed to dress like men, not supposed to mix. I remember, you know, I remember rock, there's some rock bands out there, they're guitar players standing there in a skirt playing a guitar. How come that's wicked and the, the opposite's not wicked? I'm not mad at you. I love you. And you may not understand that yet, and that's fine. Study it out. But don't get mad at me because you don't understand it. I'm saying we got to consider him. You've all read the story of, of Polycarp. He was, he was a convert of the Apostle John. He was the bishop of that Baptist church in Smyrna. I said that Baptist church. He was 80, at least 86 years old, and they called him in, the government did, and they said, you're going you're gonna to worship Caesar, you're going to go along with this government religious program, and uh, he said, no, I'm not. And they said, we'll put wild beasts on you, and he said, where are they? And they said, we'll burn you with fire, and he said, I don't care. They got him in there, and they made all kind of threats against him. And here's what I think. I think you preachers, when some when one of your fair-haired pastor friends calls you and says, listen, listen, I've taken Baptist off the sign. I'm using a new King James. I quit preaching on standards. You won't believe what's happened. You ought to try this. Instead of saying, wow, what'd that do to your per capita giving? You ought to answer them like Polycarp did. Okay, there's too much to unload there, unpack. First off, he was getting into something that I actually was going to say. 
I wanted to continue talking about because these clips are going to relate to my little lesson on what was fundamentalism, at least what I knew growing up. And from what I know, it still is. Even nature tells you it is a shame for a man to have long hair. That's scripture. Okay. A woman should not wear that which pertains or belongs to a man. No. That's cultural. Yes. And it, um, it says, and a man shall not wear women's clothing. But okay. once again, that's a cultural yeah. reference. Well, sure. But, but every culture defines what is male and masculine and what, what is saying. feminine over, over time, historically. So my point is this. That is scripture. Oh, but not they become that. obsessed with this idea that if a man's hair touches his collar, he's a hippie. Well, now, I'm not done. The second thing is, if a woman wears slacks, then she's ungodly and somehow masculine. If a man wears shorts, what we could be called short pants, anything from the just above the, the ankle on up to above the knee, we all know what shorts are, but just, just so we know, that's their definition. They're not just talking about about shorts that are ungodly. They're way up and they're showing things they shouldn't show. I'm talking about any anything that doesn't come down to your ankle and drape around your around your shoe. Then you're 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 feminine. And this 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 concept is scary. It's 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 an, there's an obsession with it. Don't get me wrong. Again, it's all scripture, but they're taking it out of context. And let me say this: the Holy Spirit. God in his divine sovereignty told these men what to write. And guess what? It's just as true today as it was then. But let me say this. It makes more sense even today than it would have done then. Because not a lot of people were doing that. But today you have cross-dressers and things like that all the time. But they've taken that to believe to be that when women went to work in the workforce in the 1930s and 40s and began to wear pants at factories and like work jumpsuits, that that somehow made them masculine and they became domineering and and they took over the men's role, usurped authority over males, that sort of thing. And that was the end of all things in society. That was the beginning of the end. And that's their concept. It's very reactionary. It's very literalist to the point of not getting the thing behind it, which is more about uh, about sexuality, gender roles, and the heart. Well, and what I'm saying, too, is when we talk about cultural reference, you kind of said it. The Bible's written in a time and an era, and, and in that time period that it's written in, there's cultural references that are made in Scripture that um, that we have to look at history to be able to understand what they're actually saying, to be able to well, there's, pry it There's properly. the covering of the head, the woman covering the head. Yeah, when Paul head. talks about that, there's, it's a cultural reference. Yes. And even this, when they're talking about a man should not dress like a woman and, and, and vice versa, it is scripture. It is correct. They are right and they're saying. But however, do not place a cultural normative as a broad spectrum. I mean, even even today, if you go to different parts of the world, what is defined as a dress for a man and a woman is different than what we see on a local level. Sure. Um, and even a, a, a countrywide level. It is a, a different uh, thing culture to culture. So we can't just apply everything here to that to that thing. Yeah. Now, another thing that, that you and I have talked about is really two things here. First of all, I, I want to do one more. Uh, I want to, no, 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 I don't. But there's still there's still parts of that. That that was a long video. I should have stopped you because <laughs> there was two or three things I wanted to talk about. Well, I wanted to say one thing on the other end of it. 
all of that to come back around to mon- to to the monetary side of yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to get to that. All of that come back to but, monetary. But 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 before that, he talks about um, your fair-haired preacher friend takes the name Baptist off of that off the building and then goes to the New King James. There is again in that movement. There's an obsession with the text of the Bible, and it's called KJO King James Onlyism. And uh, our 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 dear friend, we don't know him. But, but we both like him. James White, I mention him a lot. Those of you who are anti-Calvinist will check out right now when I say this. James White wrote a book in the early 90s called The King James Only Controversy. You own the book. I've read it. It should come in any day now. For after all these years, I'm finally, I finally bought the book. It's fantastic. Uh, um, so, along with another list of books I bought. But anyway, I've got a delivery coming any day now. Christianbook.com. He as talks all the time about this obsession with the King James King James version of the Bible. It's not to belittle the King James version of the Bible. I grew up on it. I have more copies of the King James than I have of any other. Back behind me on these shelves, and even in other places. I've got other places where I've got King James. You go upstairs, I've got a King James on a bookshelf. I've got King James everywhere. I love the King James version of the Bible. I've always loved the King James version of the Bible. It reads like poetry to me. Okay, It's in my life's blood because I grew up in it. But I'm not a King James onlyist, okay? I own many other translations, and my primary translation for study and for reading is the New American Standard 95 edition. I just we said that on the very first episode we ever recorded. That's what we read from t- generally on this podcast. When we don't, we tell you what we're reading from. Now, there's that obsession. So the idea that you take the name Baptist off a of church are now heresy. You take the King James and switch to the New King James, which for some reason they hate the New King James more than most translations. That was my first Bible that was my own that I bought that was not given as a, a gift for baptism. That, that was my first non-King James Bible that I ever read other than uh, a Gospel of John from the NIV 1984 edition. That's For a long time, those were the only three and, things I owned. And you talk about the commentaries that you and I both read. Most of those are, are going to quote the NIV, uh, and a lot of people... You know, we'll throw that out because it, it quote unquote uses the bloodless Bible because it's removed in Colossians, but it's not removed anywhere else. It's no. only removed in Colossians. So that 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 argument doesn't hold well, water. There are textual reasons why you could say it wasn't removed, but the, no, that, that's but they don't believe in all that. Well, now this guy did something I have never heard a fundamentalist do. What? I'll give him credit. He quoted an early church father. Yeah, that was kind of... And he got everything right except his little snide remark, and it really was kind of snide about, I said the Baptist, Church of Jerusalem, or no, Smyrna. I'm um, sorry. i got to oh, remember good. where Polycarp was. Um, no, the, the, this is, goes back to the trail of blood thing. They believe that all early Christians were proto-Baptists, and that really, where the, while they say, and they will say from the pulpit, they're going to be members of other denominations in heaven, so just get ready because they're there. They don't, a part of them doesn't really believe it. And I'll tell you why I think that. Because they truly think that you might be born again in one of them other churches, but you're going to get out of there and you're going to eventually find you a good fundamentalist Baptist church because that's the only place you can get good doctrine. So far, I've not heard any good doctrine other than the fact that Polycarp did resist the government when they said you cannot worship Jesus. When they threatened his life, he said, bring it on. And am I not mistaken to say that he's the one that when when they gave him one last chance to recant, he said, 83 years I have known my Savior. He's never done me any wrong. That's Polycarp. How could I, who, how could I, how could I forsake him now? And he went to his death. When they quote the old, the, the church father, like Polycarp, you know, because I don't know, you, you know where I stand on. There's, there's part of me that wants to say he's the messenger for the, the church of Smyrna in the book of Revelation. Yeah. You know, the, I mean, that, that we don't have any 
proof of that, but you know, but it, it the timeline if you if you have a later writing well who, who, for the book. Who's the guy that he he sort of trained in the faith that did record some Irenaeus. things that Yeah, it is Irenaeus. Is, is it Irenaeus? Irenaeus, I believe, was trained by Polycarp. Polycarp that's how we know that Polycarp was a disciple of the apostle John. Well, Polycarp is how we know that John wrote Revelation, John, first, second, third John. It, it's, it's also kind of where we get the timeline. Yeah, it we is. know how old that that John was, etc. It's where we understand that that John was was at one point um, um, Ephesus. Correct? Is that where he pastored? Polycarp? John, no, John. Oh, John. Ephesus. John winds yeah, up in sorry, Ephesus, sorry. and that's where he was writing. Sorry, I was trying to figure out what when he next. writes second and third John. He's writing to his church of Ephesus. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now. Do you want to stay with the K, the KJV or the the new called the KJB? Do you want to stay with KJV KJV onlyism and basically the one with the seventh edition, or do you want to go into how uh, one of the gentlemen defines women? I'll let you pick the next uh, category. Let's do the King James thing because I I, I don't know. I, you tell me to pause at any point. Okay, okay, I will because I want to stay on track. You tell me to pause at any point, and I will pause. Also, today. We use the seventh edition of the King James Bible. And we'll talk about that in a week or two. We use the seventh edition of the King James Bible. What that means is when it came out in 1611, there were a lot of words that were not spelled correctly. Although they were spelled correctly, nobody knew how to spell them. The first English dictionary, the complete English dictionary, didn't come out until 1755. So sometimes they'd have like the word book. Okay, stop. First off, I apologize for the sound quality on that. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Um, He's he's erroneous there. Okay, there were lots of misspellings, but there were also bad word usages. They had the one called the Adultery Bible, in which it stated, "You shall commit adultery, not thou shalt not commit adultery." That's why it's 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 pejoratively called the Adultery Bible. The King James, the early printers, had lots of problems. And they did screw up, to put it colloquially, they did screw up the spelling, they screwed up word orders, they had a lot of things wrong in those various editions. I know this argument well, and he's going to say that we're using the seventh edition and it's the finalized correction of the spelling. But that's not true either. Is okay. it because of the seven in the Bible of perfection? Is that Probably where they get so. this from? Yes. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm asking for a They're brand. really big on numerology. Oh, oh we're going to get there. But... Um, it's, it's, in fact, it's the whole basis of their, uh, dispensational eschatology. But anyway, the, the, the big, the big problem that, see, we're in an area that I'm actually an expert in, I guess, and it's my own way because I, I was one. So I know what they think and what they say because I grew up in that. Yeah, it's been a lot of years, but I still remember it well. I have that kind of memory. I can't tell you what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I can tell you what somebody preached on 30 years ago. The strange thing is this, they would never recognize where we get. The current King James. It's 1769 Blaney now. Dr. Blaney, revision, which is then itself taken and revised uh, slightly again. And you have two separate editions. You see, under the King's authorization, there are two uh, universities that are crown universities that are allowed to publish the King James in the UK, United Kingdom, Cambridge and Oxford. They each have their own edition. Yeah. And in those, you're going to have variants. Yes. 
There are variants in the King James. So you have to ask yourself, when you're reading a, a King James, which King James am I reading? Am I reading the, the Cambridge the or am she. I reading the Oxford? Huh? The, 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 there's the one where it says he, there's the one where it says she. They call it the he-she Bible. The he-she Bible. And there's a verse, where, where is it at? Where it's it's got to do with the, is it the one about the purification? I, I don't know. I just remember the he she. I remember that okay. being a hot so topic. So th- th- there's different ones, and, and now I'm, I'm getting I'm getting a little confused on that. But but Cambridge and Oxford there are different editions. But in America, we have the American King James version. Again, standardized spellings based on American English, not King's English. So you know, little things like that. Are right, you ready? Sure. That's not an error in the Bible. It's like, well, see, you know, the King James Bible's been uh, revised seven times. No, it hadn't been revised seven times. you got to be a fool to think that. All they did was fix some things when they standardized the spelling and things like that. They went back and did it. One of them, it was uh, instead of city, it was like this, city. So they say, well, see, there was an error in the Bible. No. And those of you that can't see this video, it's he, he spells city C I T Y and then the other one is C I T I E. That's how he spells. So he said that's what they're correcting is those two spelling. Well, they're over that's- over time. There's been changes in the standardization of English. Well, you got to remember when uh, was it Tyndale when he yeah. he he wrote marginal notes sure. to give you what word he used to and what it meant. I mean, he give you a literal um, dictionary in the margin. There are facsimile editions of the 1611, and I, I had a friend who had one, and I, I've looked at it. It's hard to read because, first off, it's it's a facsimile edition, so they use the Gothic-style printing, very dark, very... Have angu- the Apocrypha, too? Most yeah. of them have the yes, Apocrypha. Yes, it had the Apocrypha. Very angular-looking letters, but also the spelling. Because of the old lowercase cursive F that they used for the S's and things like that. There's lots of words that are almost unrecognizable to modern eyes. So this is a question. Lots of E's on words that don't exist today. So what you're saying, this is a question. What you're saying is if you truly handed somebody that is truly King James only, a 1611 that they say they pack, if you handed it to them, they couldn't read it or, or would struggle to read it. Let it, me would, it would take them hours to figure it okay. out. And uh, now, perhaps if they had things so memorized, that, that they that not they memorization know how to, yeah, to read it. Yeah, no. If they're not somebody that has a lot of scripture memorized, they would struggle. Okay, here we go. Just how they spelled it. They spelled things how they sounded. It's still the same word. Nobody had decided how to spell it up to that point. And so we were in early modern English, and it was still coming out, and people were trying to get it down how they wanted it. So it was the seventh edition. The seventh edition. So but that's... that's say, well, no, that's not the point people are talking about when they're talking about revisions. We we know about the various updates of language and correcting it, and even changing the, the, the print style, the font style. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about revisions. When Dr. Blaney did a revision, he literally went back and revised some verses. The wording was changed. So the modern King James Version is not the 1611 King, Jer- King James Version. It's not any of those. No. It, it, it doesn't, the modern King James Version doesn't begin until 1769, and that wasn't even the final standardization. So my point is, there, there have been true revisions of that Bible. So you, you said numerology. Yeah. So I have one here on numerology. Yeah. Okay. The sound so I, is so bad on that video. Let's just skip on. Uh, yeah, because, we're done with that one. Yeah. That one's it. It's kind of toward the end. So, and like I said, we apologize for the sound on these. It's, we, it, it They're found from various different. sources, yeah. So. I'll preach to you about the first time that the word manna. This is not a sound quality on the voice. This is actual his voice because it took me a while to, okay. I, don't, I, mean, I don't know if he's something there. So I, sure. I don't know, but this is his actual voice. Is mentioned in the Bible. We know that's in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter.
chapter 16, the first time the word manna shows up in the Bible. Of course, we know that manna is bread, and bread is a type of the word of God. We know that on the table of showbread, there were uh, 12 loaves of bread. They were lined out six by six. Uh, six by six, as in 66, as in 66 books of the Bible. Stop. You start... Six by six is not 66. No, it's not. I, I, no, I just, six and six is 12. I mean, okay. or you got six by six, which is 36. Yeah. So I'm I'm a little confused on our numberology, how we made the six by six to get over to 66. I, I just, That's giant leaps. Six by 11? Sure. I mean, we got 66. Sure. 33 and 33, we got 60? Yeah. 65 no. and one. No, it's it's a giant leap. Uh, if you've ever heard of a man named Peter Ruckman, he'll take all these things and say, oh, only in the King James can you divide the number of words by it. It's it's ridiculous what they do. It's kind of like, a, early was it early 90s? There was a book called The Bible Codes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot now, about that one. One of the wisest things I ever heard about that, believe it or not, was from, of all people, Jay Leno. Jay Leno would say, oh, I guess you've heard about, you know, hey, hey, I guess you've heard about the big chin. I guess you've heard about the Cosmic Codes book and the Bible Codes book and all this different stuff. And he's talking about it and he goes, and he says, if you do this and you do that, it equals this. And this tells you this and all these different letters actually add up the names of God and blah, blah, blah. And, and he goes, here's a thought. What if we just read the book as is and tried to do what it says? I know nothing about Jay Leno's salvation. Okay? I don't either. But wise words coming from a, a worldly man, and I'm saying, yeah, let's stop trying to find all the hidden messages in the Bible and read the explicit messages in the Bible. And, and the guy that's in this looks like a very nice man. He's not yelling. He's not screaming. Doesn't but he, he? There's a lot of time that he's taken to do this, Yeah, to, to put this together. I mean, he spent hours to do this. I'm going to give credit where it's due. But here's the thing. We're not talking about the Greek manuscripts. We're no. not talking about the original language. We're talking about the King James. Yeah. And we're talking about uh, chapters and verse, which was not added till well, much, much later. Many King James only people believe in a f- final inspiration. Yeah, they actually think in 1611 that the translation committee was given a higher inspiration, and they, for once and for all, gave us the final version of the Bible. Now there are some. I'm not through because there are some that will say no. You know when we finally got our final example of the Bible and how to explain it? When Oxford University Press put out the second edition of the Schofield Reference Bible, King James. The second edition, which was like 1916 or 1921. So that's when we get our final modern English Bible. And that's that's modern to them. That's as far as it needs to go. Because those notes are actually important. They actually tell us what the King James means. So one man working with the small committee that included Arnold C. Gablin and a few others and taking some ideas from Tom, from Darby and a few others, he gives us the final faith? I mean, it's dangerous. So Where you, does it end? When do we get the Bible? You and I talk a lot about qualifications laid out in Scripture for elders and mm-hmm. pastors. And mm-hmm. So I, I want us to let one of these gentlemen define. And a, can this be it? Can it? No. No. I guess I'm about done. No, no, no. I've got another one. I've got a couple more here that I want to do, and I want to end it. I want to play this one. Well, we're getting near the hour mark. So but I want to end it with I want to end it with altar call. That's that's that, that's something about it. I okay. want to end it with altar call, but okay. I want to hear this. The Bible said a double minded man's unstable in all his ways. Hey, you can't have it both ways, friend. 
anything God could have wrote in the sky, he did it before. I'm telling you, he could have spoke through a donkey, he did it before. He, he could have spoke through a rooster, he did it before. He could have wrote the sand, he's done that before. But God's choice medium for 21st century conversions is the voice of a leather-lunged, high blood pressure, bug-eyed, slobber-slanging, sweat-wiping, gravy-sopping, biscuit-eating, King James-only, Bible preacher. Amen. Yeah. Okay. 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 That's that's plenty. So, Seriously, we don't want to go any further with so that. So let's see. Let let's uh, let's let's grab our scripture here. Let's let's go. We going to Timothy or Titus? We're going to Timothy. Okay. Chapter. Well, if I can find our dear brother Timothy here. Oh, you think I would have had it ready as we would have doing this? But what is it? Todd Friel says we are the most prepared radio show on this program at this time. Yeah, on this, this station at this time. Yeah. All right. Concerning elders, beginning in verse thirteen, chapter five. Of Timothy, the elders one who uh, the elders who rule well are are to be considered worthy of a double honor, especially the hardworking. Uh, let's see, for the scripture says, "You shall not." Oh, wrong one. Hold on, I'm in chapter three. It should be in chapter three. Overseers and deacons. Sorry, my fault. It is a trustworthy statement. If a man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. One aspires, one strives, one has a calling. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, I don't really like that. I, I, I don't like that rendering. It's one a one-woman woman man. man. Yes. Um, a temperament, uh, tempered, uh, prudent, respectable, hospitable, ab- able to teach, not addicted to wine. It, it doesn't say don't have any there. It just says not addicted. Let's well, recall, see. Paul Look, also tells Timothy, them to take a little Timothy, wine for Timothy's your stomach, a, for your ulcers, or whatever his problem was. Timothy's a teetotaler. I'm going to need your man card as you spill your half and half over there. Uh, so, uh, let's see here. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he not will become conceit and fall into condemnation and incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation from those outside the church, so they will not fall into reproach and snare the devil. I, in this passage, am struggling to find a KJV leather-lunged, high-blood-pressured preacher. Slobber-slinging, gravy-sopping, and biscuit-eating. And so, all that being said, many, many years ago, what be- ignited our conversation in one car ride that I ask you? What ignited? Do you remember it? We talked about it this week. What did I, I ask your thoughts on a certain thing that goes on in church? Are, are you talking about at the invitation having the altar call? The altar call. I that I ask you because you for, said, Roy, let me ask you a question. And he said, don't you said, don't think me uh, a heretic, a heretic. For asking this, but what's your thoughts on altar calls? And I said, I'm I'm uncomfortable with it, and I'm against them. Because <laughs> those of you that don't know me, if I if and this if, was not in the last twelve months. No, this is years ago. Yeah. Uh, and my whole thing is, if if I go somewhere, had we even known each other a year yet? Yeah, we had maybe about a year. Maybe about a year. Maybe. Yeah. But the thing, no, 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 I don't think we had. We were probably months into. I reached. I retired yeah. in 2017. I think I met you in 2016. Yeah. And so uh, we were months into it. Yeah, just months into it, and this was not long before I retired, or right after I'd retired. Yeah, and, and so yeah, I'm that <clears> old, folks. So if I go somewhere, if you know, I get asked to speak at certain places, I don't do them. I will not do them. 
I turn it back over to the pastor. Uh, if the pastor let wants it to be do it, his choice, it's a local congregation. He's the overseer of that body. Uh, you know, there's several things you know that you, you and I kind of laugh at. I don't do anymore. I won't do revivals. I don't do that. I if somebody asks me to come speak, I'll come speak. But sure. when it comes to closing the service out, I let that overseer of that flock do that, not me. I, I don't fool with it. I don't. I don't mess with it because my thing is. I'm going to sit down, and we're going to close in a doxology. Oh, I forgot about the doxology. Because it goes back to our two favorite things, which one of the one of the things we always talk about the most, which is you and I both have a strong passion for false converts. Absolutely. The idea that you may think you are born again, or you may have deluded yourself into thinking you're born again, and you're under the influence of bad teaching, bad doctrine, a bad spirit that's letting you stay that way in false delusion. And a lot of these guys here, we said, I said the doxology can't stand the doxology. I mean, they just absolutely cannot stand the thought of you close with the doxology. And I like closing with the doxology. And everybody closes with the quote unquote doxology. Well, I mean, well, here's the thing. I mean, I have a clip on that, but I think I'll spare you. My first initiation into hearing the doxology was at a Baptist church. So I don't know where they would have a problem with that. Okay, so we're going to close the altar call. Now, there's going to be two things here. They're going to sit in juxtaposition to one another. The first one is going to be one of these gentlemen, probably the most emotionally uh, driven altar call I think I've ever heard. Sure. But then we're going to be introduced to a guy. And Am I going to be able to sit through this? I don't know. Okay. Um, but try. then I'm going to introduce you to a guy, though. That if you guys have not heard him, you need to look him up, Paul Washer. Oh, sure. So we're going to – I'm going to – I'm going to let Paul Washer play for a little bit, and then when we're going to close it out, we're going to say this. There's Here, a man with a heart for false converts. A man converts. with a heart with false converts. And here's what we're going to say. We are saying if you're in this type and you're getting, this is what you're getting fed. Yeah, there is an application here. There's a moral to the story of why we, of why we did this, and, and, and you said this the other day when I had doubts about doing this program. You said, no, we're going to keep it above the waistline. We're not going to try to punch these people. No, absolutely not. But we're going to say this. This is all to point people to things that if you are if you recognize any elements of the things we've heard you've heard today in your church service or in a family member's church service, be on guard. You and probably need to think about going somewhere else. Everybody that we played your videos, played your recordings, I'm sorry, not videos, played your recordings. I love you. Yeah. I pray that you're in Christ. I pray that you're truly saved. I hope that you're saved. We're not I here to rip on you, but I'm you not. let this stuff get out on the internet, so it's kind of on you, really. And, and so so what we're saying is if you're in this type of church, please examine what you're in. Lay it against this filter of Scripture, and how does it line up? We said this in our last episode on on how to deal with postmodernism and woke Christianity. What do we do with all these things? We I said we... We, we put everything against Scripture, and if, if it's not scriptural, let it go. Leave it alone. The other thing is, I know we've talked about me being a teacher. I'm going to put my stuff on our podcast, as you asked me to. My stuff is on, it's been online, too. I mean, it's not something, so it's not like I'm hid and sheltered. Right. You know, my stuff's there, too. And, and so, but I try real hard to exposit it and stay within the text. So without further ado, we'll probably make a comment after this, sure. but I'm going to let you play the altar call. We're going to let it play as long as we can. And like I said, we're going to let it go. To God, if I have to die and meet you at midnight tonight, I must say, though I wish I could have done it better, I did what you wanted me to do. Heavenly Father, we got a choice to make tonight. And I don't need tomorrow. I need tonight. Are we going to go back and get those golden shields? Or are we going to... Those brazen shields, stick them up and say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, isn't it good to be right, God? 
to the front of the church as they were emotionally manipulated into doing so and you have pulled every cord on their on their emotions you have played them like a fiddle as to use a term around here i i am actually in the middle of my fourth cup of coffee during this recording just to try to stomach it yeah here's what i'm going to say here's where i stand if you wonder i'm going to clear the air at this point Many years ago in my ministry, I declared war on the sinner's prayer. I later heard Paul Washer had a sermon really titled that. The sinner's prayer has sent more people to hell thinking they were going to heaven than we can probably begin to estimate since the introduction of the quote-unquote sinner's prayer. Because when you have people look back and you tell them to examine themselves, they examine themselves to a prayer that was said. Yeah. They do not examine themselves to see if there was a change in their life because I do not care what happens. If Christ calls you, there is a change in your life. Absolutely. There is not that you stood up because somebody played your heartstrings but you rather saw yourself in juxtaposition to a holy God. Yes. And when you see yourself as a fallen creature in, in, in comparison to him and sinful against him. And yes, there's conviction. Then you need it. And it can be emotional, but don't judge anything based on how did you feel. Do not. And do not. And here's Paul Washer. We're going to let this play for a couple minutes. And we're at the end of it, we're going to pause it. We're going to say, God bless you. We're trying to help edify with this. We are trying to help that we are, we are at, at one time. I don't want you to think we've ever called these guys false teachers. I have not, I am not going to describe that term unless you basically blaspheme the Holy spirit. I'm not going to call them. I will say they are I very legalistic. They're, yeah. They're not doing a great job. I will say that. 
So we are not. Now, Mr. Washer is going to get a little satire in nature. Sure. possible to just give we'll give them the link in the show notes for that yeah that's fine the sound is so terrible that they're not going to be able to understand what he's saying and i think it's important that you get the opposite of what well, you just heard and you understand what he's teaching here and and there's not there's no way they're going to hear that on the podcast. well basically let me just kind of give you he, he's talking about you go to somebody and, and we've heard it said so many times that the, the a you have a god-sized hole in your heart you have you know god can 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 do this. God loves you, and, and God does love you. He's got a plan for your life. He'll give you a better life, et cetera, et cetera. He'll fix your and, marriage, whatever's wrong. And what he's saying is, you're going to a self-centered, self-righteous person who is lost and unconverted. And, and I like this one the best. Just give Jesus a try. You've you, tried everything else. Yeah, and, and so you they they go to this person and say, okay, Jesus can do all these things for you, and Jesus loves you. And right away, it begins the statement of, well, if Jesus loves me, then I, I love myself. And in our arrogant nature as a fallen uh, cre- uh, creature, of course, if God loves us more than we love ourselves, as much as we love ourselves and we're self-loathing when it comes to this, as much as that happens, then it's the best thing that could happen to a quote on uh, to a, a a lost person. It's the best thing to happen. Nobody can love myself more than me and now you're telling me that this being loves me beyond what I love myself well of course I want this because I want things to be better for me I want things to be to work out better I want what you're telling me that God and so and then it says it just takes five minutes we have simplified the gospel so much that you're telling me that it just takes five minutes we must examine ourselves. We must understand our place in creation. We must understand that we need to fall on our face before a holy God and thank him for his grace that he does not give us what we deserve, and that is an eternity in hell. And then he talks about this emotional manipulation of, if you will, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you will begin to... Uh, ask these questions, and he and and, and Paul goes in. Uh, Paul Washer goes into that, and he says, "You know, I just picture Jesus, and and I picture Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, and I think he uses the apostles too, especially Acts chapter two. Either one of those, if you take Jesus preaching on the Sermon of the Mount, or you take Acts uh, chapter two and Peter and the apostles preaching, um, and then you say, 
All right, now that I've got to the end of the message, I've exhorted you. I have, uh, I have given you these things. We have talked about what it means, especially in Acts chapter 2. They exposit basically Joel the prophet. And as he gets to it, you just see Peter go, all right, at this point, everybody would bow their heads, close their eyes. And now I'm going to ask you to invite Jesus into your heart and make him Lord of your life. We make him Lord of nothing, let me add that. But if Peter has them do that, they've just spoken and heard the gospel in their own languages. And Peter says, all right, bow your head. Close your eyes. If there's anybody that would like to ask Jesus into their heart. Cue the dramatic music, by the way. If anybody would like to ask Jesus into their heart. If they would, please raise your hand at this time. Thank you, ma'am. I see that hand in the back. Thank you, kind sir. I see that hand down the front. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they say, if you raise your hand today, you can make a note in your Bible. Today is the day that you change. Right. Whereas what we see from Jesus himself in the examples is there's two men in the syn- in the synagogue, correct? Yeah. One is the Pharisee standing before God, arms raised and saying, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like this publican, a sinner. And you have the publican on his knees with his face bowed towards the ground saying, Lord, thumbing his chest, saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's laying prostate, basically. It's a simple thing. Salvation, by the way, is simple in this sense. It comes from the heart and it's repentance. It's, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin because my sin puts me in opposition to you. My sin makes me an enemy of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for me. And my sin makes me unworthy to even look up to heaven. But I beg you, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's that's salvation. It's when you come to the end of yourself and realize there is no one else. Nothing you can do can save you. Nothing any preacher or anyone else can do can save you. Christ alone. Which, by the way, I like that song. In Christ Christ alone, alone. my hope is found. And I think that is the cue that could send us home. That's right. We thank you for listening. If you've got any comments, questions, suggestions, feedback, send it to comments at dumbspeak.com. That's online, comments at dumbspeak.com. You can visit us online, www.dumbspeak.com for our website and look for future things. We plan to have some uh, post some material from Chalen Preaching. Got some other ideas still coming. We, we said this was the year we were going to expand our website. We still plan to do that. We're not lying to you. We're just slow. <laughs> and thank I mean, you and until God then, bless. God bless. God bless.